Hi, I'm Brittany Mitchell. I spent more than a decade in TV news before starting my own business. Curiosity has always fueled my success. I love asking great questions and learning great lessons. Now I'm bringing that passion to this podcast because I believe everyone has something to teach us. So let's dive in. Jeff Fugate didn't plan to be the queso king of Northern Virginia, but his love of New Mexico hatch green chilies and his daughter's high school band turned his queso making hobby into a career. Now he's out to share the power of these peppers with the world. Our guest this week is Jeff Fugate. He is with Empty Bowl Queso. Jeff, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's uh, great to be with you. So tell us how your love of queso turned into a business venture. It didn't really start with queso, I guess. I grew up in New Mexico and um, there there's this wonderful thing that is grown and sold called the Hatch New Mexico Green Chili Pepper. And uh, when I moved east in 1990, I quickly discovered there's no Hatch Green Chili in the east. And so I was sad because it's one of these things that in New Mexico, it's a ubiquitous thing. You can go to any McDonald's and get a green chili cheeseburger, for example. So if it doesn't have green chili in it, most New Mexicans don't want to eat it. Um, but uh, so once I realized there wasn't any green chili in the East, I every time I went home, I would bring some back uh, from New Mexico. And I started making this queso really as a way just to get my green chili fix. Um, that's uh, kind of how it started. And over the years, it just be, kind of became a hobby to see how good I could make it. And then um, when things, uh, green chili became more um, uh, accessible, which it did in, in the East, thanks to Wegmans specifically, they started doing hatch chili festivals and it harvests once a year and they would bring truckload in. And so I started buying it 300 pounds at a time and, and just making more and more and more queso and sharing it with, um, uh, with people everywhere I went. I was in the events business for a number of years and I traveled all over the world. Um, to all types and sizes of events and, and every and all, all and like I said everywhere and um, that enabled me to share it was just with more and more people and so it was really just about sharing the joy of hatch green chili more than anything um, and queso was just kind of the delivery mechanism that's how it kind of got started and then it became a fundraiser for my daughter's marching band which got things really kind of rolling and um, I at one point a uh, few years into that decided I better move this out of my kitchen and <laughs> and maybe uh, try to find a com- commercial space to work in and so that process began kind of in the beginning of 2020 and then COVID hit obviously and um, my role within this rather large event design and execution company was eliminated due to COVID. Wow. And I had to make a decision at that point. Um, I go find a, you know another sales leadership job in some other industry, which I'm sure I could have. I've been in other industries prior to the events business and know lots of people, but um, I just thought, you know what, maybe this is just a sign that it's time to go all in and, and, and make queso. And so that's uh, kind of the short story of how we got from, um, you know, discovering queso or making queso to uh, now becoming a business. So I had never heard of this chili that you're talking about. Give us an idea how it compares to, say, a jalapeno or other peppers that people are more familiar with. It's um, it's very different in that it's uh, got a I, I think a much better flavor. Um, so and it comes in different varieties, so uh, different uh, heat levels and different flavors. And um, I focus kind of on the more hotter versions. Uh, I use the sandia pepper specifically, which is a hot pepper. 
Um, but there's a big gin, which is more mild and a lumbre, which is extra hot and, you know, different varieties of the pepper, but it's got, I think more flavor than a jalapeno and, um, and the heat, uh, kind of comes on in a different way. It, it kind of slowly warms you from the inside out. So when you first bite into it, it doesn't hit you in the face right away, like a jalapeno might or a ghost pepper or a habanero or something like that, that just kind of pow punches you in the face. <laughs> it, um, it really involves more of the, the flavor of the pepper and then the heat comes on slowly and then and it stays with you. So you were a pepper pro before you were a queso king. And yeah, I yeah. Well, you. not really. I mean, I, I never really was into any of the other peppers. It was just the hatch pepper that I was, uh, that's the only, I mean, if you offered me a jalapeno, I guess I would eat it. But if you give me an option between any of the peppers, I would always choose a hatch green chili pepper. So why is it so central to New Mexico? Is it just the climate there is ideal for climate? um, It's very specific. This town hatch is a little teeny town, 200 miles south of Albuquerque. Um, And there's something about the elevation, the humidity, the soil there that makes it grow in in a special way. Um, I know people try to grow it. People do grow it in other places, um, but it's just not the same. Um, I don't know what it is about it. I've grown it in other places that I've lived, but it doesn't taste the same. There's just something about um, peppers that come from the actual Hatch Valley that is different. And so I, I think if you really didn't know, probably if you didn't grow up in New Mexico, maybe you and didn't eat it all the time, you, you sure. might not be able to tell the difference between one grown in a greenhouse and one grown in, in Hatch. But those that really know and, and, uh, and understand the pepper would know the difference. Are they only available certain times of the year? Yeah, they only harvest one time a year and it's late July, early August. And so you have to um, harvest as much as you can and then freeze it. So uh, the company I buy from, which is uh, the New Mexico Chili Company, it's actually a women-owned business and um, I'm trying to support them. But they, they after, after they harvest, they it, there's a three-step pro- process. You um, First, you roast it, then you peel it, and then you chop it and then you freeze it. And so I buy from them 2,400 pounds at a time. A pallet is 2,400 pounds and I have it shipped on a truck from, they used to have a storage facility in Dallas because it's much easier to ship from Dallas than Hatch, New Mexico. Sure. Um, so after they, after the harvest comes, they do all of that work and then they ship it all to Dallas and it gets frozen and stored and in, in this facility. And um, it's uh it stores for a long period of time. Like the peppers I'm using now are good until I think June of 2023. Wow. So um, it, it's good in the freezer if you if you package it right for several years. Um, and so I, I feel safe about if we grow that there's enough, because that's one of the things I asked them, how much green chili do you have? If, if Costco calls me one day and says, right. I want a million units, um, are you going to be able to help me? And so uh, they assured me that... Uh, getting that much green chili won't be a problem, even if they have to go to some of their, you know, fellow farmers. And so when Wegman started doing their um, festivals in August of every year, I started buying 300 pounds at a time and I bought a chest freezer just to store green chili. Wow. I would love to see a picture of that. That must be really yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have some somewhere, but now I have two chest freezers at home, but I store the, the peppers in a, on a pallet out at a Marigold facility in Strasbourg. Okay. So, and I go out there every couple of weeks and pick up 12 cases and bring it back here and put it in my chest freezers until it's time to thaw it out and get it ready for use in the, in the, in our kettles. 
So when people taste your queso, what makes it different than queso you could buy at the grocery store? Uh, well, first it's good. Um, <laughs> whereas, I don't know about you, but I, I've never bought a queso in a grocery store that I thought was actually good. And right. so that, that's, that's one, one of the problems. And, and one of the reasons why I decided to go all in, I, I, I just feel like there's this void in the market of, of good queso. I, I think there are some good, some good quesos out there regionally. Um, and you know, there's some Mex the Mexican restaurants that make some good queso out there that, that, that I, that I've had, but I think it's very difficult to find it uh, in retail, um, especially on the East coast. Now, if you go to Texas, uh, and Austin and Dallas and places like that, you can find, you know, some uh, regional stuff that's, that's made and sold and, and then stores and, and, uh, restaurants down there. Um, but in the East coast, I have yet to find anything, um, uh, even remotely close to what I would consider edible. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. So once you started selling this and you said it was to help raise money for your daughter's band competition, people obviously fell in love with it. At what point did you think, wow, I could really turn this into a whole lot more? Yeah, and it's um, it it started actually before that when when I just started making lots of it and sharing it with people. I mean, if you were a client of ours and I came to your event, you got queso. If you were a client of ours and came to our office for a meeting, or I came to your office, you got queso. <laughs> um, you know, I brought it to all every meeting internally, uh, all the meetings that we would have. It was just everywhere. If, I think people invited me to their meetings because they knew <laughs> I would bring queso, um, and so. <laughs> It uh, it really kind of started more more back then, and when I when I first put the Facebook message out about raising money for the band, it was Super Bowl Sunday of 2017, ah, and the band had decided they wanted to go to Orlando to march in the Veterans Day parade at Disney World, and so there was you know they were starting this process of raising uh, money, and I put a Facebook message out that was really meant for the neighborhood that said, hey, I'm going to make a big pot of queso, come by, bring your bowl, and I'll fill it up, make a donation for the band. And that's when I just started getting pummeled by people all over the country saying, I'll, you know, contribute, you know, bring some to me, ship some to me, this, that, and the other thing. And that's really what, what got it going um, was, was, was kind of that. Um, but people all, all through that process and even before had told me, oh, you should just bottle this and sell it, right? This is so good. This stuff's great. I've never had anything like it. You know, you, know, you should just go make this queso, right? Well, that's not as easy as people think. Uh, it just really isn't. Um, and there, I could go on for a very long time about all the obstacles and hoops I've jumped through, even just in the last year since we got the business going. Um, but be even before that, I mean, trying different varieties of the base cheese and you know, varying with the recipe, and um, you know, just getting that started is one thing. But then taking a commercial is just a whole different, um, a whole different ball game. Um, it's one thing to take salsa commercial because that well, it is shelf stable. It doesn't have to be refrigerated. Mm. My product is fresh and it has to be refrigerated. There's a whole other storyline I could tell you about where I tried to make it shelf stable. I worked with a couple of different um, co-packers, they call them in the business in Texas, right. one in Dallas, one in San Antonio. Um, but we just couldn't make it right, right? I mean, whatever it is that they had to do to make it shelf stable just ruined it. And mm. so I guess that's why you can't find any good queso in the grocery stores um, because you know, the base product itself is, is not uh, conducive to um, what I would might call good queso. So knowing that, 
as you are beginning to scale the business, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast. As you began to scale the business, what was the biggest obstacle you faced other than the one you just mentioned? Yeah, well, a bunch of them. And I'd say that there is one common theme that I've run into over and over and over again. I call it chicken egg, but it's, you know, I want to do stuff or get into stores or access things, but I'm not big enough to get to get people's attention. Sure. Right? Um, and so the most recent thing has been, I've been talking to cheese manufacturers in Wisconsin uh, because I think at some point I'm going to have to develop my own base cheese. And um, that's going to require a lot of money. But even if I have the money right now, they're just not interested in talking to me because I'm not generating or not going to generate, I don't know, a million pounds of cheese a year yet, right? right. We're, um, we're, we're producing probably about 3,000 pints a month right now. We're in about 40 retailers in, the, in what we call the DMV here in Washington, the, the District, Maryland, and Virginia. And um, I do have a friend working the Dallas, Texas market for me. And so we're in five retailers in Dallas, which is kind of exciting. I mean, if people in Dallas are buying it and eating it, I think that's a positive sign. Absolutely. Um, uh, so, but we've got a long way to go. And so it's that continued, um, well, I can't get good shipping rates because I'm not doing enough to to make it viable to ship. Um, and it's expensive to ship to begin with. Um, or I can't get the attention of the right co-packers because my volumes aren't high enough. Mm -hmm. um, they love it. Everybody says they love it, but you know, until you reach some uh, plateau, you know, we're not going to be able to work with you. And so that's been the most common um, theme, I guess I've run into over and over again. Um, but it, uh, it just means to me that we've just got to keep going and, and uh, doing our grassroots uh, growth uh, efforts until we get to the point where we do get those people's attention. And, um, I'm pretty confident based on what uh, what's happened in just nine months um, since we've really got the ball rolling that uh, that we're going to get there. So what's been the hardest thing about leaving what you did for so many years and making this your focus? Um, I, the people. I mean, I was in that events business since uh, 2003, so um, long time and developed a lot of relationships and it's... Uh, not that this business isn't about people. I mean, I, I was managing a team of uh, 50 people. Wow. Um, and so now I'm basically working mostly by myself. <laughs> I mean, it's a big it's, difference. Uh, yeah, it's a big difference. And so, and I do have a, a massive group of people that are supporting me in a number of different ways. And I would not be able to do this without, without their support. Um, from operations to accounting to IT, um, you know, all of those things, um, graphic design. I just got a massive support network. Uh, but I think what's the most different for me is I'm just I'm just working alone a lot, right? Yeah. Um, and not uh, engaged with people all day long, um, which is what I uh, basically in leadership uh, was what I was doing before. I'm just constantly in meetings and um, I guess there's some good and bad. I, I don't necessarily miss all of those meetings <laughs> um, that we were in, but um, I, I think that's been really been the biggest difference, just uh, kind of more flying solo than um, you know, reliance or heavily reliance on you know, large groups of people. Sure. So if COVID hadn't happened, do you think you would be where you are today with your business? No, there's no way. Um, there's absolutely no way. I, I think we probably, I mean, I was already on a path to get it going. Um, I, and we would, we would, there would be something going. I think maybe we'd be doing the farmer's markets on the weekends like we are. Maybe we would have found a few retailers that we'd be in. 
Um, but there is no way um, that we would be where we are because I've been working 16 hours a day, seven days a week uh, <laughs> to, to get, get us where we are. Um, so uh, no, we wouldn't, we wouldn't be there. So in a way, I guess for me, COVID um, was that push. Um, the, the original plan was to stay within the role I was in to slowly grow it, maybe bring some people in from the outside to actually run it. And I would be more of a, a figurehead and not the actual uh, you know labor point. But um, because of COVID, that's the we got that, that's the, the 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 cliff I was pushed off of, I guess. <laughs> right, along with so many others. Right. So, what is your dream now? What would you like to do with the business? Yeah, I, I think we're we're thinking. I, I've got kind of three ways I'd, I'd like to grow the business. Um, the one is just through retail, and, and right now we're focused more on independents and smaller regionals and. Um, I, I've learned through talking to a lot of the bigger retailers, the Costco's and the big grocery store chains that um, we won't be able to get in there until we're produced in a third party audited facility. So that's, you know, I mean, outsourcing the actual production of product, which I'm working on that. But again, that's another one of those chicken egg things, right? Um, I've got the attention of a couple of people, but not enough, not, not do, we're not doing enough to really um, to make it happen yet. But eventually, you know, uh, I think we hope to get into big mass retail. Um, fundraising is another area I'd like to stay involved in. We did a couple of fundraisers for a couple of local high schools around the Super Bowl this year. Um, their booster clubs, Loudoun County High School and Stonebridge High School here in Loudoun County, Virginia, and um, generated uh, quite a bit of funds from them in just a short period of time, 10 days. So that was a real wow. fun thing to do. And I think we could do a lot more of it. I just haven't had a lot of time to focus on that yet. I've really been focused on the retail side uh, of the business and um, it's pretty exciting to go from just uh, zero to almost 50 retailers in the DC area in, in a nine month time. So it's really, most of it's really happened since the beginning of the year, uh, the retail partner growth. So, um, but the fundraisers is, is another um, avenue. And then I think the third avenue I'd really like to focus on and get into eventually is uh, venues. So mm-hmm. the football stadiums, the hockey arenas, the you know, all these places where you go and you buy nachos or a big pretzel and they serve this horrible cheese, um, (laughs) that needs to be changed. We need to get, you know, um, we need to get good cheese. Uh, there's, there's no reason to eat bad cheese. That's one of our models, (laughs) one of our slogans. Um, but, uh, so those are really the three, um, I think our three, uh, growth, uh, paths that we're going to be looking at to, to grow into the future. So exciting. So what about other products? What else can you do with this pepper or is queso it? Oh, no, you can do lots of things with it. Um, I've, I've taken on a, um, at, at the farmer's markets, we do a couple of other partners because just selling the queso by itself, you know, I sample when I use chips. And so I took on a partner, Texas Trey, and he makes chips, salsa and guacamole right here in Northern Virginia as well. And so uh, that's been real good. And then recently, just the last, in the last couple of weeks, I've taken on a soft pretzel uh, partner, ah. um, Nordic Knot, who's made, uh, they make their pretzels right here in Reston, Virginia. And um, and it, the chip's probably the most common way to eat queso, but when you can get your hands on a good soft pretzel, that's a really great queso experience, right? And so uh, we partnered with Nordic Knot to, to uh, sell their pretzels at the markets. And um, But one of the things we just did this past weekend is Nordic Knot made a jalapeno cheese pretzel. Um, and I knew, noticed that on their event menu. And so we started talking about, well, what if we made one with green chili? Yeah. And so they experimented and this just this past weekend, 
um, we were selling green chili cheese pretzels at the farmer's market. So How much that's wrong? another thing you can do. <laughs> you can do with it right away that we're doing. But I mean, I put it in everything. Um, you know, you, I, I make burgers with it. I, you know, uh, mix it with my scrambled eggs. Um, you know, you, green chili makes virtually everything better except for uh, Girl Scout Thin Mint Cookie. Um, <laughs> I was certain I was desperate to find something it didn't make better. And that's at least one thing. There so you go. Can, There's one. I, on the play I love it right now. It doesn't work on that. <laughs> well, I love your networking spirit. You know, you talk about partnering with these other companies. How did networking and what you learned about that working in your past career serve you in this one? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I've, I've been in sales, um, you know, all, all my whole career since 1990. Um, I graduated uh, college. Well, I guess really more 1991. Um, I did a one-year stint in law school and decided, I don't think I can work with these people for the rest of my life. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, you, you, I just know from my experience that you need other people to be successful. And mm. the, the more you can integrate um, and bring value to others, the more value you're going to find in your brand and, and, and sharing it. Um, so it's just something that's always been with me. It's uh, something that I've always done um, and throughout my career, trying to find ways that I can help others and they can help me and, you know, uh, try to create a scenario where one plus one equals something greater than two, right? Um, Love in it. my case, it's one plus one plus one equals, you know, something greater than three um, with the partners I currently have. So um, if you find the right partners and they've, you know, got similar alignment relative to culture and attitude and, and then how to run the business, which I think I, which I think I have here, um, it usually does uh, come out to a greater number. I think that's fantastic. And sometimes entrepreneurs are so focused on what they're doing, they stop thinking about who else could help them. And you're exactly right. Entrepreneurs are wired to help one another because they're always about growth. So when you think about the growth of your company, what would you like to give back? I know you're very passionate about fundraising. Why is that so important to you? Um, I, I, I think, um, well, the first thing is I think most fundraisers and I've been involved in a lot of them, you know, with two kids, you're, you know, always being asked to buy something. And sure. a lot of times you're being asked to buy something that's not good. Yes. <laughs> thing you don't want. Wrapping something paper. you don't want. Can I, and I like, can I just give you money and don't right. give me the product? Um, uh, so there's that, there's that component of it. I think that that's important to me. Um, but I also just believe in, in giving and in, in giving back. And for all those years, I, uh, before I started the fundraising, I just gave the queso away. I mean, it's just something that I did just give, 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 give. And, and I found, um, that, it, it eventually comes back to you. I mean, if you, if you, if you give enough it, it, um, and to the right people with the right intent, I think it, it, it comes back to you. And I think that's what I'm experiencing now. I mean, all those years that I was just giving it out, um, the support I'm getting back now come came from that, right. People, mm. uh, appreciate the passion I had for it. Um, appreciate the, just me sharing the joy with them, as I like to call it. Um, we've got a, one of our slogans, another one of our slogans is dip into joy. Um, and so, uh, you know, it, it's just that bigger picture concept of, um, you know, giving you, you, you get back what you give. Right. And, um, and, and I think that, uh, as long as we can keep some kind of focus on, on, on the giving aspect and, um, you know, I hope, I hope to at some point, 
um, be able to give something from every pint we sell. I mean, I think downstream, that's something I'd, I'd really like to look at. And I've got a whole bunch of ideas on um, inviting our, our best customers into, you know, what's your charity? Let's focus on raising money for your charity, bringing them in to help us, you know, make the product and making, you know, customized, uh, we do custom labels when we do the fundraising, things like that. And it's just a lot of fun and um, being involved in, um, and, and helping these organizations that need to raise funds to keep their organizations going. I, I think if we can be a part of that, it's just another way to get back to the communities. Well, it's obvious there's a lot of joy in your life as a result of this business. I can tell you're truly passionate about it. So share with us about the name, Empty Bowl. Yeah, you know, um, it just kind of came to me one day. I don't, I, I think after I, I just keep filling the bowl and then it would be gone. And then like the bowl's empty again, right? <laughs> Um, so one day I, I just thought, uh, yeah, the empty bowl sounds like a fun name. And my wife is a graphic designer and I kind of drew on a napkin. Um, you know, this is what I, my, why my vision, I want it to be very simple and a rustic look and, uh, I can't draw very well, but, uh, she can. And so she ended up, um, drawing our logo from scratch. And so that's, uh, um, the art was really kind of penned by her and it was, it, when she came back to me and showed it to me, it was like exactly how I pictured it in my mind. Wow. And so it just all kind of came together. Never hurts to be an entrepreneur with a graphic designer spouse. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Absolutely. So I'm sure people listening are wondering, how can they get their hands and their chips on your queso? Right. Um, Well, right now, if you live in the DMV and uh, go to our website, you'll find, um, you know, we're we're buying stores now on the website. So you'll be able to see, or if you live in Dallas, you can, you can find where we are in Dallas as well. And um I was doing shipping when the weather was cold and it was a little bit easier to, um, to ship, but, uh, you know, be able to have more than an overnight shipment available. Um, but now that it's cold, it's very difficult to ship. Um, I'll still do it. If, if someone wants to pay $150 to ship hundred dollars with a queso, and there are some <laughs> people that do, um, I, you know, you can reach out to me and we can, we can make that happen. Um, but in the meantime, you just have to be fortunate enough to live in one of the areas that uh, that we're currently servicing, and we just hope to continue to grow and expand. Well, it'll be fun to watch that happen. And Jeff Fugate, the Queso King, when we see your queso in our stores, we will think of this podcast. So congratulations and best of luck to you as you continue to grow. Thanks so much, Brittany, for having me uh, on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. Jeff's queso has been enjoyed all over the world, from his home in Leesburg, Virginia, to Europe, China, Japan, Canada, and Mexico. If you live in the D.C. area, you might just find Jeff or his queso at your local farmer's market. Otherwise, head to his website, emptybowlqueso.com. Thank you.